0: I'll tell you, it is uh, off the charts, incredibly a blessing uh, for Lynn and for me to be uh, here, for me to be back uh, from 11 years ago. Man, I think I was 11 years old 11 years ago, if I, if I remember correctly. Maybe I turned 12. And, uh, and time gets by in a hurry, but for Lynn, this is her first time, and I've been telling her about uh, your church ever since I was here last. And uh, now some of you are looking at me saying, "I don't, I don't remember you from 11 years ago." And it's good to know that you're thinking that because I'm looking at you saying, "I don't know you either." And so uh, we'll we'll just have to solve that. And so I hope that you hang around for the corn roast. I didn't get the memo about the yellow, so I don't have anything uh, yellow on. So forgive me on that. I, I failed to do so, and uh, I will I will uh, try to adhere to. Uh, thank you, my friend, and uh, I will uh, do what I can to. I don't know what I'm going to do about it, but I, I can't do anything about the yellow aspect. But nevertheless, I, I can eat, that's for sure, and I'm going to enjoy some corn. When I'm finished here in about three hours, it will be so good. Uh, it will be, be real good. And uh, I have enjoyed meeting several of the young people and youth workers and others that have come up through the years up over, I say up, up and over to Camp Chautauqua. I'm pointing like I know the direction. I'm not real sure which way it is, but anyway, through the years, I have been honored to be able to meet them for uh, several years, and I'm grateful. Uh, to be at their church. In fact, I couldn't wait to tell them last summer, I'm going to come to your church, Lord willing, uh, in the month of September. And so I hope that during the week, several of them will show up and, and uh, will be here with us. And I'm glad you're here. I really am. Now, I didn't come this morning just to kind of uh, chat with you. But I want us to get right into the Word of God. We've had some wonderful hymns to prepare our hearts uh, for the uh, giving out of the Word of God. I was telling Lynn, there's such an incredible history of this church, and I, uh, I, I am just brought back to remembrance of the history of the church from the early 80s, am I correct on that? And uh, I am just thankful for what the Lord has done down through the generations of time. I actually met your pastor for the first time in Ann Arbor. He was a college student. Uh, at uh, University of Michigan. I met him years ago, and uh, but I'm grateful that our, our opportunity is to be able to be together in ministry this week. Looking forward to the corn roast, and then tomorrow the picnic. Hope that you'll plan to be a part of that and to get to see the kids participate in different events and, and uh, enjoy our time together for the Labor Day gathering. And then, uh, ladies, you won't want to miss being able to hear Lynn over at uh, the Magnusons' home. It'll be a delight. She uh, will be a help. I really believe that, and I think that you'll find that the giving out of the Word of God will be both timely and helpful for you. Hope that you'll plan to come. You say, "Well, I I, I work on Tuesday. I'm not going to be able to go." Well, just just quit your job, and then just plan. Maybe not. Maybe maybe you shouldn't do that. Uh, and so, <laughs> I hope that you'll be a part of that, and then come tonight for the service tonight and then uh, Tuesday evening and Wednesday evening for those evening services. We'll just take it one service at a time, but plan to be back tonight, would you? This morning, you won't believe this. God woke me up in the middle of the night, and I've just been, I have been going back and forth and back and forth, and I have tried to get the direction of the Lord, what we need to look at. And uh, it wasn't until early this morning that he made it clear to me what we need to look at. And I want us to go to the book of Matthew. If you'd go there with me, we're going to start in chapter 4. Hope you got your Bibles with you because you didn't come to hear what a man thinks. You need to come and hear what the Word of God says. And this church has a history, a rich history of the teaching, the preaching, the proclamation, the giving out of the Word of God. I'm grateful for children's programs and bus ministries and camp meeting, camp services, and all the things that your church has participated in, but it all centers in the Word of God. And that's where our answers come from. And so we're going to look at the Word of God in every service. And uh, I just can't wait to get get to meet several of you that I've not met already, so plan to be back with us. We'll be in the Word of God every service. In Matthew chapter 4... We're going to get an event that you have probably have heard, read, seen. It's not going to take you by surprise. But I believe that throughout the word of God, there are divine encounters. You say, no, Morris, what do you mean by that? Times in which God came down and and came encountered with an individual or with a group of people and their life was never the same as a result of it. I mean, think about some of the divine encounters. Uh, Moses stood at a bush that was burning and it didn't destroy and he he had an encounter with God. It was a divine encounter. Uh, The apostle Paul was riding on some kind of an animal on the road down to Damascus and he had an encounter with God. He was never the same. I'm grateful for that. And here we're going to read of a divine encounter that Jesus brought into the lives of several individuals. In Matthew chapter 4, would you note with me verse 18. Look at what the Bible says in verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, that's where much of the ministry of Jesus took place, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, (coughs) and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Now, Jesus very possibly and more than likely had already met Peter and Andrew. Uh, Peter at this time is known as Simon. He would later be changed to Peter. But he knew them because Jesus was in the city of Capernaum often, and he came in contact with these guys frequently. He knew them. He knew they were fishermen. And they're out fishing, and they've come in from a night of fishing. They're there uh, uh, near the shoreline, and it says in verse, if you'll notice in verse 19, it said, and he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I've been in many church services through the years in which a preacher has made much of that full sentence, and he's made much of the statement, I will make you fishers of men. I've gone to uh, conferences that has to do with missions work and going to the foreign fields to win people to the Lord. And this verse has kind of been like a theme verse. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. But sometimes I'm afraid we forget the very first two words. Follow me. Just follow me. I want you to come be with me. Learn from me. Be my student. Be my disciple. Keep reading. Look at verse 20. And they straightway, which means immediately, left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. When Jesus said, follow me, these guys knew. He was not saying, you guys got a few hours to spend some time with me? Hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee? Let's go get a meal down at the local diner. You, you, guys, want to, you guys want to spend some, you want know, to spend the afternoon together? No, they knew that's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, leave this fishing business and devote your life to me. Let me be your master teacher. Give your life completely to me. And we throw the word disciple around. We've heard it most of our life. If you've gone to church, you've heard the term disciple all through the years of your life. And you've heard it so much that you almost lose track of what it means. It means to be a student A pupil, a follower, a learner. We're going to break it down further in a little bit. But Jesus is saying to these guys, I want you to be with me. If you and I could travel back into Bible times, if we could travel back to the days in which Jesus was on this earth, you know, we would find that Jesus was not the only one who had a class of students. There were rabbis. You've heard that term before. There were Pharisees. These were religious leaders. You had scribal people. You had elders. You had these different ones who had their followings, their flocks, their disciples, and you would see that sometimes they would sit down on a hillside, and these teachers would stand, or or many times the teachers would sit down, and their class would sit around at their feet, and they would instruct them. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is the truth. I'm not making this up. Uh, the elders and those speakers, those teachers, for the most part, were were boring. They were boring, uh, because the people who heard Jesus said, he He doesn't teach like the elders. Nobody ever spoke like this man. And historians tell us that these these scribal and elder and rabbi leaders literally all they did was they would quote uh, Rabbi Josephus over here and Rabbi Leroy over there. Uh, they said, I'm sure Leroy was in the mix, don't you? And 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 they would they would quote those guys from time to time, and they just kind of made they just pop they prop each other up uh, as they would speak, and they'd say, here's what we're here to teach you, and they take they take the Old Testament. That's all they had. They didn't have the New Testament. they take the Old Testament and they'd squeeze things out of the teachings of Moses' writings and, and the prophets and they'd squeeze things out and say, you've got to be, you've got to live a better life. You'll never, you'll never make it to God unless you make it to my level. And, you're... and, and everybody just kind of endured these religious people. And then along came Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to be in my class. I want you to be my students. And Peter and Andrew said, yeah, we'll go with you. James and John said, we'll go with you. Now, we're in the book of Matthew, are we not? Go to chapter 9. I want you to see what happened in the life of Matthew himself. Matthew's going to speak in the third person. You say, what does that mean? Well, don't worry about it. Uh, chapter 9 and verse 9, Matthew's going to talk about himself. It says in verse 9, and as Jesus passed forth that matthew's writing these words as jesus passed forth from thence he saw a man named matthew sitting at the receipt of custom and he saith unto him follow me and he arose and followed him now friends i'm just telling you this was no small thing this was this was this was gigantic you say what do you mean Matthew was an extremely wealthy man. He was a man who was making money. He was a tax collector. When it says he was at the seat of custom, he was he was charging people for their taxes and in Capernaum that was the ideal place to be because you had two main highways that would go through there. You had to go from east to west and north to south. And any time you passed through Capernaum, you had to pay a, a traveler's tax. And anything that you had on your wagon, you had to pay for the weight of all that was on there. And anybody who caught fish out in the sea uh, of Galilee had to pay for the amount of fish that you caught. And so, I mean, Matthew was racking it in, making money for the, for the government of Rome. And he was hanging on to a bunch of it for himself. Everybody despised the tax collectors. And Matthew was hated. Why? He was a Jew. But he had surrendered and given himself over to the Roman Empire. And he said, I'll bring in all this money for me. And he didn't have any friends, probably, except other tax collectors. And mean, And he was sitting at the main receipt of custom to the point that when Jesus said, Leave this and follow me. I, I believe, and I'm reading between the lines here, I believe that there were other lower-level tax collectors that said, "Oh," and they started clawing and fighting each other, fighting over the seat that Matthew was leaving behind because they knew Matthew's, Matthew's gone. He's going to follow this rabbi Jesus. And now chapter 10. We'll park here in chapter 10 this morning. The very first verse says, and when he had called unto him, notice the words, he called unto him his 12 disciples. Now the rest of the chapter, chapter, he's going to start teaching them. They're going to go to school. They're going to go to class. He's going to instruct them. Go down to verse 24. It says, the disciple is not above his master nor is the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known what i tell you in the darkness that speak ye in light and what you hear in the ear that preach ye upon the housetops now this teaching doesn't stop right here I, this could be a series of sermons that a, a person could preach from in fact if you go down I, i'm not going to preach on this but look down at uh, look at verse uh, uh, 38. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. I repeat, Jesus called these 12 disciples, and when he said to them, follow me. Friends, I'm here this morning to tell you, these guys not only knew what he was saying, they they not only understood what he was declaring unto them to do, they understood this is life-changing. This is a divine encounter. This is a time for me that those 12 guys were saying, okay, I'm diving in. I'm all in with Jesus. Now, I grew up in Texas. Lynn and I call Texas home now. We're not home that often, uh, but uh, uh, that, that's our home. I grew up there. I have. We have lived all over the country. We've lived in Florida, and uh, we have lived in Arizona, and we have lived in, uh, uh, where have we lived? Uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, we have lived in Indiana, and uh, now we have gone back to the Dallas, Texas area. That's That's our home now. Now, when you grow up in Texas, you grow up with certain things. Have you ever met a Texan? They tell you that they're from Texas. Do they not? I, just like I'm doing right now. We've, we're just getting to know each other, and I'm bringing it up. And I promise I probably won't bring it up except in every sermon. But, I mean, honestly, it's, it's you meet a Texan, they just seem to talk about it. I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, it was just kind of inculcated into our head when we were kids. Always be glad that you're from Texas. And feel sorry for those who aren't. I, I don't know why. I, and, and, and if you've got a good Texas joke, <laughs> I've heard them. Okay, so you, you don't have to share. Okay, my point is, when you grow up in Texas, that's just kind of drilled into you. Always be glad you're from Texas. That's just a part of it. You also grew up watching the old westerns, you know, the old black and white westerns. Good guy always wins. Bad guy always loses. And the acting is always pathetic. I mean, it's just, you know, you can always watch those things. And we grew up with football. It was gigantic. It was huge. From my hotel room, I looked out last night, and I could see your stadium here for the Vikings. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, what a great view. This is great. I, I love football. And I grew up playing and grew up. I mean, it was just kind of, when you're born in Texas, they hand you a football. I mean, it's just a part of growing up. And we played, I played with coaches that were, um, well, let me just put it like this. I think I grew up at the wrong time. Coaches today are a lot more understanding and a lot more gracious and psychological, and they say that 's okay, son everybody 's a winner, you know everybody 's fine everything 's going to be just great. I grew up in the era of time that uh, our coaches went to the school of adolf Hitler i mean they were they <laughs> kids are saying who 's that uh, we, I grew up in a time in which it was. There were things demanded of us that physically a lot of us couldn't do. And these coaches would say, give me all you got. And I'm thinking, I don't have anything left to give. In fact, I just saw my lunch all over again. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm giving you all I've got. And our coaches would say, fellas, here's a great inspirational statement. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Isn't that just life-changing? I'm just telling you, you feel like just hitting somebody, you know, in Christian love. You just want to go after somebody. Okay, they were demanding of us. They would say, give me 110%. That's impossible. You you can't go beyond 100%. But you, you get the point. They were declaring to us, though I don't ever remember a coach saying this, they were saying, be all in. Give it all you got. They said that. Be all in. You know what it means to be all in. A businessman is all in to get his business off the ground and keep it going and to make the cash. A a lady who's got a garden in her backyard is all in with making sure those weeds are removed and taking care of everything and making sure that everything is fixed just right. A, A fan of a ball team is all in. It's football season, basketball season, you know you get all in. You've seen them they go to stadiums with their paces fainted uh, painted uh, fainted uh, painted with the, with the colors of their of their ball favorite ball team and they, they got themselves all decked out with crazy looking clothes. I mean guy is a guy is a normal human being Monday through Friday but boy when it's Saturday college game or Sunday other professional game, he's acting like a wild man. why he's all in. He's all in. Across the globe, there are people who are terrorists who actually would strap on a suicide vest and walk into some setting in which they are around people that they claim to be their enemy and allow themselves to be vaporized and exploded to kill people. Why? They're all in. They're all in, and mothers will allow their children to grow up and become these kind of people. People following a particular political cause will be say they'll say, I'm all in. They'll stand on street corners and hand out uh, flyers that vote for my candidate and so on and so forth. Okay, you get the point. Now, let me just summarize and say this. When Jesus says, follow me, he is saying, You need to be all in. And I've traveled from one side of the country to the other, from north to south, and I've been outside of the United States. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of people who go to church. There's a lot of people who carry a Bible. There's a lot of people who would even pray on a pretty regular basis. There are people who would even give a testimony when called upon. There are people who will work in some area of the ministry of the church. Don't get mad at me on this. There are very few disciples. There are very few people who are all in. And Jesus says, be my disciple. What does that really mean? Well, I don't have time to go through every passage throughout his writing through the Lord's words But we're going to stay right here in Matthew 10 and we're going to look at a few words that he says here. And all I can say is that you and, and me, we need to evaluate just exactly, am I really a follower? Am I really a disciple of Jesus Christ or am I a church member? Am I a church attender? Am I a Christian on my way to heaven or am I all in? What does that mean? Well, look at verse 24 in chapter 10. Let me let Jesus be our teacher. He was teaching his first disciples and he said this to them. He said, a disciple is not above his master now that word master means master teacher don't get the idea that it's a master walking around with a whip whipping up on people i'm your master no the idea there is he's saying the student is not above his master teacher in other words it's not only a geogra- or a physical uh, designation that a person Uh, a a student would sit at the teacher's feet and would look up at him to learn from him. He was not only talking about that. He was talking about living a life that says, "I, I am equal to or even above the teaching of a master teacher. He was saying, okay, you've entered into my classroom. Now you understand something. You're going to submit yourself to my teaching. Look at the rest of the verse, verse 10. Verse 24, he said, nor is the servant... Above his Lord. Now let's use the terms employee and employer. He's saying the employee is not going to tell the employer how to run the business. He may even give a suggestion that would be received with, uh, with graciousness. That may be so, but he's not running the business. He's an employee. He, he is saying what the employer wants me to do, I will do it. Let's break this apart. He, Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple and you're going to be my, my student, you will submissively be a teachable. Student, that is, you will put yourself in a position to listen and then obey what I tell you to do. Do you see that designation? He's saying you're going to submit your brain, your mind. You're going to be my student. You're going to listen and learn. And then like like an employee, you're going to do what I, I tell you I need you to do and I want you to do. If you're going to be all in, number one, you're going to be submissively teachable. Anybody who's a teacher, anybody who's a preacher, anybody, if you've parents who've had kids will tell you, you can tell when your kids are listening. A teacher can say I can tell you the students in my classroom that are really locked and loaded to listen to what I'm teaching. They're with me. How many of us have ever attended a class in which we were just thinking just get me out of this class you know, what have I got to do to pass this class and you know, just you know, what have I got to do but there are some classes with some teachers, the subject matter gripped you excited you and it was like I can't get enough of this subject matter hopefully you've had a class like that I hope you have you know in those classes when the bell rings in the distance it's like I don't I don't I can't believe it is it already time to go in the other classes that are boring and you have to endure it's like you know you're in there like three days it's like when will that bell ever ring I'm ready to get out of here Jesus is saying if you're going to be my disciple you're going to be submissively teachable. It's like you're going to lean in and grab a hold of what I'm saying. Can I, can I put this on the, on the bottom shelf so everybody in this room can understand it, especially me? Jesus is saying this. You're going to live in such a way as my disciple that you are hungry and longing to hear what I've got to teach. There's a thirst in your soul. There is a desire to hang on to these words. I've been in services in which sometimes I I feel like young people forgive me. Sometimes I feel like with a teenager, I almost have to stand on my head to keep some kid's attention. Why? Because there's just really no desire to be a follower of the Lord. And I know there are some circumstances in which an adult man who had to work all night long on Saturday night, but he's there on Sunday morning and he's doing everything he can to stay awake. And he's, you know, those are circumstances he can't help. Or somebody's on medicine that's making them sleepy. I get that. But there are some people, they're thinking, I get a good morning nap on Sunday morning. This is great, man. Why? Because they're not there to learn, they're not a disciple. And sometimes a person will even read their Bible on a daily basis, and they'll all they're thinking about is everything they got to do that day. Why? Because they're not leaning in. And I don't mean literally, physically, though that may be a possibility. But there's not that general leaning in of the person's soul that says, "I got to hear what does the Lord want to say to me today." A disciple is one who is submissively teachable. He's all in. He's someone who is longing to see the things that will change and direct and mold his own Christian character. He's hearing words and learning them. He's understanding and grappling with the things that Jesus is saying. There is a passion to follow his plan. He is saying, God, I don't want to miss anything you've got to say. Lord, I didn't catch that. Lord, give me understanding. Show me more. And he may even grab a a study guide to help him understand what what is this passage really saying here. Let me make sure I'm grabbing this. I want to understand what is the Lord saying. There's a thirst for God. Hey, there was a guy in the Old Testament. You may have heard of him. His name is David. Hey, young people, you ever heard about David killing a giant named Goliath? You know what David said? He said, just like the deer pants after water brook brooks. Like the deer goes over and and takes up the water. So thirsteth my soul. So hungereth my soul. So longeth my soul for thee, O God. David also said, he said, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. Uh, When David was about to die, he was the king of Israel and he was going to pass the, the rulership baton off to his son Solomon. Here's what he told Solomon. He said, Solomon, know, knowledge, know the God of your father. And then he said this, if you seek him, he will be found of thee. He says, if you go after him, You'll get to know him. Hey, you go ask some of these kids right now, teenager or younger. You ask them, uh, hey, how old are you? Yeah, you don't ever ask an adult, you know, but you, you ask, especially ladies. But, I mean, you, you never, uh, you, you ask a teenager, you know, or a kid, how old are you? You know what you hear? They'll say, I'm seven and a half, you know. I say, oh, seven and a half, really? Yeah. I ask ask teenagers all the time, how old are you? "Uh, I'm I'm 15, but I'm about to turn 16. Oh, really? When's your birthday? "Uh, August. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, this is September. Yeah, boy, your birthday's just almost here, isn't it? I mean, you you, you remember those days? You can't wait to be that next birthday, you know? You become an adult. Someone says, how old are you? You say, I'm 38, but I used to be 16. You know, I mean, you kind of look the other way. Let me ask you this. If I said, how old are you in the Lord, would you say to me, let me see here, Mr. Preacher Man, let's see I'm going to do something. Yeah, I got saved. I got saved 22 years ago. I'm 22 years old in the Lord and a half. I'm still growing. I'm still longing to hear more of what he's got to say. Some people have gotten so familiar with the Word of God, they just kind of come in and... And I don't see this this morning, but you know what I'm saying? We kind of have a smug spirit, you know, of the thing of, yeah, I've heard all this before. (sighs) You know, I can almost taste that corn already. How much longer is he going to be? Fact is, Jesus was clearly teaching when a person is longing to hear the word of God, you're a disciple who's leaning in, there's a submissiveness that says, here's my brain, here's my my mind, here's my soul. I want to hear from you. But not only hear it, but to obey it. I'm submitting to you. But not only submissively teachable, look at verse 25 with me. He goes on to say, it is enough for the disciple that he be as... His master. You can stop right there. Now, I'm not a a Greek scholar, but this Bible was originally written in a Greek language, and let me just tell you some of the words that you've got here. It says here, it is enough for the the student, the disciple, the follower, that he be. Those words, he be, is the idea of he be becoming. That is, he is progressing he progressing he is uh, he is metamorphosizing he is becoming it's something that doesn't go wham i'm changed completely forever no the idea that i'm i'm changed forever going to heaven but there is a progress of spiritual advancement in what way that he be as his master the picture here is that somebody is undergoing a continual constant changing, metamorphosizing into Christ-likeness. Did you ever have a kid, those of you who've had children, or did you as a child, did you ever go to your mom's closet, your dad's closet, did you ever have a kid go to, and, and put on uh, your, your, your shoes and, and, and come walking down the hall wearing daddy's shoes? You know, why? He wants to be like daddy. And, and the little girl goes over and she gets in Mom's makeup. Oh, watch out. It'll be all over the floor and the walls and everything else. and she's got she's got it all over herself and, and she grabs a necklace and it drags and hits the floor and and she comes out and, and most girls want to just put on some kind of little princess dress, you know, and so forth. and they're just they're the girly girl and I, and I, I think that's great. My point to you is they're wanting to be like Mama. You ever had a kid, I got grandkids, and sometimes I'll walk in the door and and, uh, and the youngest ones, they'll, they'll, they'll copy me. I'll say, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? That's what I just said to you. That's what I just said to you. Are you going to say every word I say? Are you going to say every word I'm going to say? you better stop. You better stop! And then I go chasing the kid and tickling him till he can't breathe. You know, I mean, the, you know what I'm saying? What, what's that kid doing? He's trying to copy his papa. Kid trying to copy mom or dad. You ever seen these TV commercials where some muscle-bound guys on a on an exercise machine? You know, he's just, he's just, he's just, you know, and, and it's all about, you know, losing weight and firming up and getting strong and muscular. Uh, it would look a lot like, never mind, and just look a lot like, <laughs> please come back tonight, would you please? And and some old guys on this machine, and, and they make the statement, and just three times a week, 15 minutes a day, you too can lose, you know, uh, you know, 50 pounds or whatever you know, and you you can you can be strong and firm. And what happens? You, man, you you kick out that money and you get that machine. It's it's brought to the house, and you're thinking, I can't wait to do it. And you get on it and you use it maybe twice, and then it becomes something to dry clothes on and uh, hang your purse on, ladies and so forth. What did you get talked into? I want to look like that guy on TV. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be all in with me, here's your goal. Be like me. It is enough for the disciple that this is his goal in life. I want to be just like Jesus. I want to talk like him. I want to respond the way he would respond. I want to speak gently like he would have been gentle. I want to be patient like Jesus was patient. I want to be godly, holy, like Jesus was. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master teacher. This is your goal. Not only are you to be submissively teachable, you are to be visibly transfigured. That's my word. We're to be transfigured into his image. This is what we're to, this is the goal of our life. Sir, do your kids see more of Jesus in you? Does your spouse, madam, ma'am, young people, kids you go to school with, do that do, does the do the does the home, does your spouse, do your siblings, does anyone ever see Jesus in you? This is our goal. When you're all in, you want to be just like him. Robert Murray McShane of yesteryear, a great preacher of yesteryear, said this. He said, it is not great talents that God blesses as much as great likeness to Jesus. We live in a world that is corrupt by by a simple statement. It's corrupt. And if you allow the world to dictate your thinking and dictate, if you allow the world to dictate your humor choices and your entertainment choices and and all that you, uh, the pathway of your life, you go swimming in the world, you can't come out of it unscathed. But if you hang out with the Lord Jesus and say, I want to be like you, I'm I'm all in. There are going to be more and more people who are going to recognize something's happening to you. I'm not talking about something spooky. I'm talking about a legitimate metamorphosizing. It is enough for the disciple that he be becoming just like his master teacher. He's visibly transfigured. There's a third thing. Notice in verse 25 again. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his lord. And then he goes on to say, if if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, now stop right there. Beelzebub was one of the harshest, maybe it was the most harsh term you could use to, to call somebody out, to almost curse somebody. It was the idea of, it was a very hard word. It was rude. It was, it was a, uh, It was a term that was uh, heinous. And he says here, Jesus says, Now, if they're going to call the master by this heinous name, keep reading. If they call him Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? In other words, he says, Now, fellas, I'm going to be up front with you. There's no small print in the explanation of what it means to be a disciple. But if you're going to be my disciple... You're going to be, number one, you're you're going to be submissively teachable. Number two, you're going to be visibly transfigured. And number three, you're going to be painfully troubled at times. There are going to be times in which people are going to have nothing to do with you because you're a follower of that Jesus. And you may have family members that don't agree with what you choose to live by. And when, you, when you're all in for the Lord Jesus, all of a sudden you're not laughing at things that, that are inappropriate. You don't want to watch things that you used to watch. You may be mocked. Jesus was. You may be left alone. Jesus was. You may be lonely, abandoned, hurt by somebody, questioned by people. There may be sorrows that none of us really want to go through. And this is why I think many times people say, you know, I just kind of want to be a casual, an occasional follower of Jesus. I like hot tea. And I've noticed some people when they make hot tea, they take that tea bag and they just sort of dip it in the hot water. Man, I just throw it in there and I'm, I'm hitting it with a spoon and I'm squeezing everything. I'm all in with my tea bag, man. Some people just want to dip it in the Christian life. I just want to just kind of be a casual follower. Why? I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't want people to, to be rude to me. Look, if you think that following Jesus, you just made it to the most popular world on planet Earth, you, you're dreaming, there will be troubles that the Lord himself will allow into your life to do what? To help mold you again further into his, into his Christ-likeness. And there may be times in which you will suffer and feel like you're all by yourself. Can I tell you, suffering will increase your worship of God. It'll cause you to know him better than ever before. It'll cause you to be more patient with other people because you'll think, I don't know what they're going through because you've gone through things. Suffering will eliminate the illusion that you have the strength and the ability to rule your own life. Can I say that again? Suffering will eliminate the illusion that you have the strength and the ability to rule your own life. You'll find out I'm not in charge at all. I'm not in charge at all. I'm in his hands, and I trust my life to him. But there's one more thing. If you'll notice in verse 27, Jesus said this What I tell you in the darkness, that speak ye in light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Okay, as a kid, I used to hear this passage and I'd hear someone talk about it, and I didn't know, you know, preach upon the housetops. Am I supposed to go stand on people's roofs and scream, you know, and tell people, you better come to Jesus, you know, and if they're not listening, you go over and you yell down their chimney? Is that what he's saying? Yet, yeah. no, that's not what he's saying at all. No. But what, what is Jesus talking about? He's saying that which you have heard in darkness. What's he saying? He's saying that which you have heard in private times, when you've been alone with me, maybe in a church service, when you almost feel like everybody else left the building, and it's just me and you. When you've been reading your Bible and I've been speaking to you directly in those quiet seasons of the word of God, that which you've heard in darkness, he says there in verse 27, he says, now go proclaim it in the light. Go tell people what I've been teaching you. That's what he's saying. Then he says, and that which you've heard in the ear, he's talking about the whisper. He's talking about things that are soft spoken. And you can just sense the arm of the Lord coming around you saying, I I want to talk to you about this. I want to teach you some things. He says, you take that and boldly proclaim to others what I've been teaching you and speaking to you about. When you're all in, you are boldly testifying of him. Look, friends, there's no secret agents in the Christian life of a a disciple. There's no one, there's no uh, uh, hidden representative who's blending in with the world and doesn't want anybody to know that he's, He's really a follower of the Lord Jesus. He's not undercover in the secret uh, witness program. He's out there. I don't mean, Jesus is not saying you go up and grab people and throw them up against the wall and say, let me tell you something, pal. You're going to go to hell someday. No, that's not what he's talking about. No. No one's going to be helped by that. He's not talking about being rude and abusive and abrasive. He's talking about being bold, confident, looking for those opportunities to tell people, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you what he's taught me. He's boldly testifying. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you ever told anybody about the Lord Jesus outside of another believer? You see what I'm saying? We have very few disciples. We have good people, good people. Some people aren't all in. And I'm gonna say this before I turn the corner and finish. Before you can be all in, you gotta be in. Jesus, God's Word, makes it clear that to them who are in Christ Jesus, they shall become the sons of God. They're in the family of God. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He that has the Son of God has eternal life, but he that does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. You say, Morris, what are you talking about? Has there been a time in your life when you recognize I am a sinner and I am bound for hell? There's a real place called hell. I've been religious. I've gone to church. I've got a Bible. But I've never come to Jesus Christ and said, I want to be in you. I I want you to be in me. You see, friends, when you and I were born on this earth, we were born separated from God. And God wants a relationship with you. But my sin keeps me from having that relationship with God. Your sin keeps us from having an eternal relationship or even a present-day relationship with God. And I can try everything I can. I can be the best person I know how to be. I can do everything I can to live a life in which I can get myself to God. You can't get yourself to God. I talked to a guy the other night. 20-year-old guy, and he said, I am working so hard to do right, to live right, to be right. He goes, goes, I've got addictions in my life. He goes, I'm trying my best to stop. I want God to to like me. I said, how's that going? He said, it's not going well at all. I said, it never will. You're trying to do it all on your own. I said, let me ask you this. If you happen, and I said, and you can't do this, if you happen to live, let's just say seven days, an entire week, if you live seven days and you never sinned, you never did anything wrong at all. He looked at me when I said that. He said, oh, man, I would be one surprise, shocked individual. I said, sure, I would be too, because you can't do it. I said, but if by chance you could. I said, do you think you'd get to God and go to heaven because of those good seven days? He looked at me and he said, because of all the other sin in my life. I said, you got a problem, don't you? And immediately, because he'd already been given the gospel, immediately he began to pray. He said, Lord Jesus, you're my only hope. I'm a sinner. Please come into my life right now. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I can't do it on my own. And maybe that's what you need to pray. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. There's no in-between ground. Has there been a time in your life when you recognized, I'm outside of Christ. I've never trusted Him. I've gone inside of a church building, but I've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you do it today? As a teenage boy... I sat with a bunch of kids, friends, and we were at a ball game. Things were going fine for a while until all of a sudden the conversation really got pretty bad. I didn't like what was being discussed. There were some girls sitting nearby to embarrass me what these guys were saying. Finally, it wasn't because I was the best guy in the world. I just simply got so uncomfortable. I said, guys, I said, I'm going to head to the house. I jumped off the bleachers and I started making my way home and I started walking home. And as I walked home, I started praying. I said, God, there's got to be a better way to live than that life. I pointed back to the ball field. I said, The way the the conversation was going, I said, God, there's got to be a better way to live than that. I don't want to live like that the rest of my life. I said, God, I don't know what to do. You say, I knew I was going to heaven. But something was missing in my life. I had Jesus Christ, but something was missing. By the time I got to my house, I took my Bible and I began to read my Bible and I put my hand on the Bible and I got on my face before the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't really know exactly how to pray this, but I said, as best I know how, I'm giving you everything I am. I didn't use the words all in, but I said it in my heart. I'm yours. I'm all in for you. I was signing up to be a disciple that day. Now, you may look at me and say, well, yay. Have you ever gotten away from that? Have you ever stumbled? Countless times. Of course I have. So what have I had to do? I've had to re-enlist. I've had to go back and say, God, I want to be your disciple. Lord Jesus, I want to be all in for you. Maybe that's what you need to do today is to tell the Lord, I want to be all in.